Hello and welcome to Talking Events. Um, before we start today's episode, um, let's give out the thanks. Um, Headbox.com have very kindly um, sourced and helped us obtain today's venue, um, which is the Shangri-La Hotel at the Shard, London. Um, if you are listening to this, I urge you to hop onto YouTube, hop onto eventindustrynews.co.uk and look at the video because we're on the 35th floor of the Shard, overlooking London, and I think by far and away, this is the best location that we've had for the podcast since we started doing them. So big thanks to headbox.com for sorting that and to Claire Metcalf and her events and hospitality team at the Shangri-La Hotel at the Shard of London for looking after us today. So on with today's episode and very much in keeping with the theme of hospitality, we welcome for the first time to the podcast, Nathan Evans, Operations Director for Smith and Walensky London. Nathan, thanks for joining the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Good Great to, to have you here, um, and uh, this is a little bit of a departure for the podcast because we've not really had uh, a guest on with your background and, and specifically working in the nature of venue that, that you operate and run in London. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Smith & Wal- Walensky is for the people that, that aren't aware of the brand, a little bit about its history and where you are in London and what you do. Well, Smith & Walensky is really the quintessential New York steakhouse. It's, uh, it'll be 40 years old next year, and it started in New York City on 3rd Avenue and 49th Street by Alan Stillman. And they have uh, 10 restaurants in America, and this is the very first one outside of the U.S. And we opened in the uh, Grade 2 listed Adelphi building just off the Strand um, on the 17th of June last year. So just coming up to our first anniversary. So not even a, a year old. Not even a year old, still a baby. But, uh, but very much established very, very quickly on the, on the London restaurant scene and the London event scene. Absolutely. It's a, it's a large premises. It's 15,000 square feet, so there's 320 seats, three private dining rooms. Uh, it's all been designed by Martin Brzezinski, the go-to guy for restaurants who designed Sexy Fish and Balthazar and the Ivy and so on. So it's, uh, it's got a touch of glamour about it, um, but it's a little bit of New York in London. And, and we should point out that this is, um, this is high-end dining, isn't it? It, mm. it, you know, it, it, in terms of its decor, in terms of the hospitality, and that, that's very much the reason why we've invited you to, to, to be a guest on today's episode, is, is talking about that high-end level of hospitality. Mm. Um, the event professionals that listen to the podcast, um, who may have experience of catering um, for event delegates, for event guests, whether that be an award ceremony, a conference, a seminar, a trade show, whatever that may be. Um, people have experience of catering en masse for people. Yeah. But when it really comes to the high level of hospitality that you guys do, that's perhaps something that we've still got a lot to learn about, isn't it? Well, I think that's one of the benefits of using uh, a restaurant space where you have an existing team that do it day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for us, it's all about the quality of the ingredients, obviously. The, the beef is of the highest order. comes over from the Midwest, 8,000 kilometers, and then we dry age it on the premises, butcher it on the premises. Um, and so that's really one of the centers of excellence, huge wine list. But what you get in America, which, which is sadly lacking still in the UK, is this sort of warm, welcoming hospitality. They wrote the book. On, um, on on the guest experience, mm. I think. And that's what you get. And, it's, and it's, it's an old cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason, aren't mm. they? Because, as you point out, the Americans have this, this reputation historically for doing hospitality really, really well. Yeah. Um, and that's something you've been able to, to bring over to London, which I guess was, was evident in 
certain elements of other places in London. But Absolutely. This, this yeah. is just to go back on the history of the brand of Smith, Smith and Walensky as a, as, a, as a steakhouse and as a, as a steak restaurant in the US. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about something that's got a, a quite a serious brand in terms yeah, of reputation. I, I mean, there are lots of great steak restaurants in New York City, Peter Luger's in Brooklyn and the Palm and Sparks. Um, but in the late 80s, there was a, a poll done through the New York Times and uh, overwhelmingly, um, uh, Smith & Walensky was voted the best place to go and get a steak. And it was really about the people that worked there. And now you have five fathers and sons working in the same restaurant. Um, but New York Times printed a, a simple line which said, a steakhouse to end all arguments. And I think that sort of summed it up. And it was that wonderful combination of the best beef, great sides, amazing wine list, but this wonderful hospitality that mm. was almost entertaining the guest rather than just delivering a service. Because the best restaurants do that, don't they? They, yeah. they, they create an atmosphere and they, they create an environment mm. within which the customers can enjoy the food that's then on offer. And, and, and this brings us back, I, I suppose, to, to looking at hospitality and what the events industry can learn about hospitality. And we're not just talking about hospitality when they're, when they're hosting a meal, are we? Mm, we, we, no, we yeah. Hospitality extends to, to somebody walking into a conference venue and being welcomed with a cup of coffee in the morning. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. so we're on a, we're talking really today about learning and how we can learn from a, a, an operation such as yourselves, mm-hmm. how the welcome, how the environment, how the atmosphere and what is then offered can all combine together to create that experience. Absolutely. I, th- I think it's, um, you know, there are lots of great places to eat, lots of great venues out there. And I think that at the end of the day, your customer service is singularly the most important thing upon which you're measured. And, you know, we could talk for a long time about how you get to that point and, and you're only as strong as the weakest link in a team. Um, but you really have to focus on uh, on several things. Um, you have to be totally committed to training people in the business, and so and the Americans love to um, to standardise and and uh, they're very good on training programs. So our training program, which is sort of adapted from the US, is huge, and they get uh, tested on every section of the business, from wine to food. Um, but more than that, that's not going to create someone that really enjoys their job. And I think as management we need to create environments in which people want to come to work and have a good time when they're at work Mm -hmm. because if they have a good time and they're well remunerated they will naturally look after people that walk through the door and and they're not mutually exclusive you you can't just train people and expect them to do the job and so you know we've been open for 11 months and um, uh, we're still with exactly the same team we started with and that is very very rare in the hospitality business in restaurants in London where there tends to be quite a throughput of people Absolutely, generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what that means is is that we've managed to establish not only a, 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 a business where people are constantly learning, so they never get bored, but also that they love coming to work and we have a lot of fun at work. And so, you know, they're, they're, they, they have that uh, ability to uh, to be smiling genuinely, not with, not the painted on version. Mm-hmm. And that makes a huge difference when someone walks through the door, whether it's seven o'clock in the morning for a breakfast meeting or a conference or whether they're coming for, for dinner after the theatre at 10 o'clock at night. I think it was Richard Branson that said, give them the skills to move on, but treat them so they don't have to. That's right, absolutely, yeah. When, when we're talking about events and, and utilising uh, and translating that hospitality that you offer over to, to the event side of things, mm-hmm. which is very much applicable for today, um, 
let's let's look at the restaurant as as a space as an entity mm-hmm. um where it is its location and and what it potentially offers um event clients okay well i think uh, one of its strengths is its central location it's it's literally about uh, 50 yards from charing cross train station uh, one way and 50 yards from the savoy hotel on the other just off the strand so it's very centrally located the Adelphi building, where it's housed, is a is a Grade Two listed Art Deco building right on the Thames, um, and if you get up to the sort of thirteenth floor, the views of the river are quite remarkable, um, and so it's smack bang in the middle of the West End, and in terms of the venue, it's two floors. It's a it's a ground floor and a and a, and a very very large light airy basement, um, and uh, three completely separate private dining rooms, and so it gives a huge amount of flexibility um, for the event professional. I think you could uh, have anything from a, a very small breakfast meeting for a dozen people or less, uh, up to uh, you know the entire venue booked out for mm-hmm. for larger larger parties. Because we have spoken on, on on very recently on a previous episode of Talking Events um, about transforming venues into um, event spaces. Um, could we perhaps highlight some some examples of, of mm. what are the sort of the demands when you have engaged with with event clients and they're seeking to look at the venue? Um, have they come to you because they've already absolutely one hundred percent nailed the fact that they want to use your restaurant, or is there an element of dipping their toe in the water and actually coming to you to sort of think is this possible with a restaurant venue? Do, do you find sometimes that that, that that event clients are actually thinking hmm, probably not because it's a restaurant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, you know you will meet some people who are sceptical about whether or not you can turn a restaurant space into a great event space. And I was listening to one of your podcasts from um, um, from Twickenham, was it? Or mm-hmm. Wembley, yeah. yeah, from Twickenham yeah. Stadium. Um, and uh, one of the gentlemen there was was talking about you know trying to find a venue that at least you like, sort of eighty five percent of the way. Yeah. And then the last fifteen percent can be uh, you know you can you can turn that venue into your own with your branding or, or, or whatever you need but we, we've done a huge number of events of all different types since since we've been open we launched the Adelphi building for Blackstone who are the landlord they own the, the whole building they've invested 60 million in it and uh, it's all office space and they wanted to launch the building to um, the, 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 the property world and so we had uh, 320 agents from Knight Frank and um, James, Jones Langlesale and so on mm-hmm. um, who viewed the office space and then came for a party and it was all themed in the 1930s style in keeping with the uh, the age of the building absolutely yeah and um, we completely transformed the venue not only having uh, music from the 1930s the flappers if you like um, and the original vehicles parked outside but also the basement was completely transformed from a restaurant into a large uh, venue for um, for for stand up drinks and, uh, and and canapé reception and that was really um, you know bringing in digital screens to celebrity DJs dance floor cocktails enormous seafood station branded for the Adelphi building and so that's a very very different um, experience to what people would expect when they would walk in on a normal Friday night. How much consideration was was given to the use of the restaurant as an event venue and as an adaptable event venue when it was actually being designed? Because as, well, as you yeah. pointed out, it's, it's less than a year old. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it sounds like that this was planned in, in some way, shape or form. Yes, I think that um, businesses uh, of this scale, and there aren't many restaurants in London that are 15,000 square feet. You can count them on one hand. 
Um, and so I was involved in the design process with Martin Brzezinski right from the outset. And in the back of your mind is always, how will I accommodate this event? How can I adapt the business for that client? And I think that flexibility is enormously important. Uh, an example would be that uh, private dining rooms on the whole, if they aren't booked in restaurants, they lose you revenue. Mm-hmm. It's dead and space. It it's is. not being used. So all of our, uh, the two main private dining rooms that are annexed from the main restaurant have huge doors that fold completely back so that those spaces can be uh, an extension of the restaurant space or the event space um, rather than being a complete empty, you know, a separate entity, if you like. So so you have that ability mm-hmm. for it to be part of the main room or completely so separate. So in a sense modular in that it yeah. can be expanded or contracted depending on whether or not it's being used as a private dining room or a full event space. Absolutely. And, and without getting too, too geeky about things, mm. um, when you're dealing with event clients who may want to bring in, you mentioned screens, mm. branding, other elements, bands, live mm. music, um, yeah. were, were considerations given to that? And did you engage with any consultants or partners who brought in expertise specifically on stuff like AV or, or whether or not you, you would have the right power requirements for live music or for screens and things like that? Yeah, I've opened about four restaurants in my career in, in, in London and uh, every time you do one, you try not to make the same mistakes twice. Mm-hmm. You usually just end up making new ones. But I think um, one of the things that we did was to make sure that um, the AV, uh, the internet connections were bulletproof. So we put a 100 megabyte fiber optic broadband into each private dining room which is, you know, a cost, a significant cost, yeah. but that will allow you to stream, you know, a video conference to Australia without worrying about your up and down speeds. Um, we put uh, additional power everywhere uh, and rather than just the obligatory cleaning socket on the skirting board. And, um, and we made sure that the lighting was controllable in every single area which means that uh, you can you obviously create that mood that a lot of event professionals are after. Um, by by dropping out single light fittings. And so uh, a lot of time and effort was put into uh, making sure the space was as flexible as possible for all eventualities. The um, the, the nature of, of, of running any restaurant is, 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 is a busy one. And you ask anybody who's worked in the restaurant industry at any level, it's, it's long hours, um, it's long days and long nights. It is. Um, are, are you able to, um, or have you been able to actually go out there and look at either other restaurants or other event spaces and see see what they're doing and see what you can learn from there? Mm. Um, or, or was this set up as, or, or, or is part of the thinking that you're very much going to pioneer a new way of, of thinking about how hospitality is delivered? Um, I think uh, both. Um, I, I have uh, a number of contacts in the event industry. There's a, there's a great business called... Uh, Fisher that's uh, that tends to it has several royal appointments and, mm-hmm. and, and and carries out events in places like Clarence House and St James's Palace and um, so I spoke at, at length with those people there before we built the restaurant um, just to get an angle on, on on you know the challenges that they face when they go into venues mm-hmm. uh, with lighting with sound with uh, you know all these things and, and and that certainly put your puts your mind in the right uh, uh, frame, if you like, and then um, we also you have to when you build restaurants, you're very minded to the event business, but you also have to make it feel really good on a regular day of the week, and that means you know uh, the, the way the tables fit and space, and the way people move around a room, 
that creates energy. So people like to see the staff busy. Mm-hmm. Staff need good, clear lines of sight so they can see customers that you know at any moment in the meal. Um, and so those things are equally as important. And it's getting that balance between having a great restaurant environment that works every day and then being able to completely change the environment um, for the event business. Events are, you know, for, for by and large, built on, on reputation mm-hmm. and will seek to re-engage and, and, and source uh, repeat business yes. from clients by giving them a quality experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that will inevitably help the event grow profitably and yeah. in size and, and, and financially. Um, and what's interesting, I'm just looking at a, at a report that was published on uh, eatoutmagazine.co.uk mm-hmm. um, and was published yesterday. Okay. Um, and, it, and, it, and it identifies that, that improving how the UK hospitality and leisure sector manages in response to customer feedback could potentially contribute an additional $3.2 billion to the UK economy simply by, in essence, raising the standards of hospitality and responding to the critique of our customers. Um, mm. how, how would you I look at that? And, and by and large, when, I think... Are we overly critical of our industry in the in the UK, hospitality and restaurant? I think it's a it's a great thing. I, I think that um, things like TripAdvisor, for instance, are mm-hmm. a very positive force. I think there's a lot of uh, negativity in in our industry about um, review sites and so on. And I, and I think that where else could you get completely free feedback? You know, we used to spend a fortune on mystery guest reports to find out what was happening subversively in our, you know uh, uh, um, in our restaurants to get that level of feedback. And now you're getting it for nothing. So I think they're hugely valuable resources. In terms of events, you build relationships with people and you, you learn from each and every event. We um, do a huge amount of business with PwC because their mm-hmm. head office yeah. is geographically very close to the restaurant. And they use us for everything from breakfast meetings when they run out of meeting rooms in their own building through to lunches and dinners in private dining room to a Christmas party taking over the whole floor. You don't build those relationships unless you you know, email the PA or whoever booked it the following morning saying, just want to make sure everything was great with the event last night. Could we have done anything better? And I think you've got to be completely open and, and welcome um, feedback because only through feedback are you ever going to improve um, and build long-term relationships hmm. with with corporate clients and event businesses. And the, and the parallels again with the with the event industry, you know, and we're talking about we're perhaps being a bit too divisive between talking about the restaurant industry and hospitality with the restaurants and hospitality within events. Yeah, I see them as one of the they, same. They are very much crossing yeah. over now, as we've identified with the venues themselves mm. being used for events. Yeah. They are in essence one of the same. Um, I know that a lot of event professionals out there will will utilise tools that allow them en masse to respond or to speak to their audience, their delegates, their customers, their visitors, whatever they term them for, for the particular event. Do you think that there's, uh, with things like MailChimp and mass emails um, and social media, that, that there is too much emphasis placed on mass communication and that we also need to to maintain the one-on-one communication and follow-ups regardless of the size of the event i know it's difficult for for big events to do that but Mm -hmm. really there could be more one-to-one interaction yeah i totally agree yeah Uh, and 
When we um, we do we do host a lot of networking events in our business. Um, British American Business held a huge event with us recently, and I think that one of the great things about those is it, it reminds you that uh, the purpose of it is to get people talking to one another face to face. And I think that there could be a lot more of that. There should be a lot more follow up on the telephone rather than by email. I think we're all so uh, reliant on email on Facebook, on Twitter, on, on Instagram nowadays. And, and uh, they're all very valuable tools, um, but uh, it shouldn't be you know, exclusive um, to, to digital and, and, and email and so on. But there is almost that warm feeling that you get when you have that personal interaction with somebody, when somebody bothers to phone you up and say, was everything, well, absolutely. O- was everything okay? And you think, oh, I wasn't expecting that for a start. Yeah. And if it's something you weren't expecting, generally then you know you're a little bit taken by it but inevitably then there's that warm feeling that you get of well that was very kind of them to actually bother to phone me directly rather than just blanket bombing with an email you just before we came on air you mentioned uh, Richard Branson and there was a wonderful thing when Virgin Atlantic first started and they had uh, I think they had two planes um, and uh, Richard would sit in his Maid of Ale home and pick up the telephone and one of their great things for, for upper class was that you would have a, a limousine pick you up at the airport Absolutely, yeah. and in every limousine was a telephone and uh, he knew which passenger was in which car and he'd have the passenger list and he would ring the car and the driver would say uh, there's a phone call for you Mr Evans and he'd pick up and Richard would be on the telephone. And he'd ring the customer and say, just wanted to find out how your flight was today. And I think that you'll floor someone when the senior person in the business calls you personally to make sure you've had an enjoyable experience. Mm. And so um, I try and speak to as many people as I can on the phone personally um, for exactly the same reason. Because if the operations director is picking up the phone and speaking to the PA and said, I've come in this morning. Absolutely. uh, uh, And and to, um, to get that personal connection yeah, and and, and I, I think, again, the industry can identify with that. I, I know one example of, of, of seeing um, the, the build for a, a trade show taking place at a venue in London and one of the exhibitors being helped in through the loading bay, you know, wheeling pallet trucks and carrying boxes by somebody who they just thought was one of the, the crew on site to help do that because the yes. guy was in combat trousers mm-hmm. and boots and high-vis and had a walkie-talkie. And the next day, he saw the guy on the show floor in his suit and tie, and it turned out that was the director of the business. Absolutely. So he, he was there, you know... At help, the sharp help, end. Help, at the sharp end of it. And, and I think that's a, that when we talk about hands-on, sometimes we don't necessarily have to be physically hands-on, but it's just right. that interaction of a certain level directly to the customers that, that, that shows that they care. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, it's it, it's a it's a fascinating subject. Um, we've we've actually just had a little look at, at some of the events that you've got coming up in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering whether or not you're you're uh, they're at, they're on the website. So I'm wondering if you're at liberty to to divulge some of the some of the details I'm about sure some could. of the events that are being hosted. Um, there are uh, uh, lunches with with football legends coming up. Um, there, are. There, there are summer steak events. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about some of the things that, that, that you're working on at the moment um, well, from an event perspective. One of the things that's proved incredibly popular, and we've got another one coming up very soon, is uh, is sobrage, which is the uh, the, the uh, practice, celebrated practice of opening a bottle of champagne with a saber, which <laughs> was. Uh, <laughs> Something that French cavalry officers used to do, take a chilled bottle of champagne out of the saddlebag yes. and, and uh, break the glass collar, taking the cork out, and, uh, before they went into battle. And uh, we actually teach people how to do it. 
And um, I've, I've just been... heard the shiver of event health and safety consultants across well, the UK yes, shivering yes, at the thought of people wielding swords and sabres and wine bo- and champagne Well, I've bottles. been doing it for 20 years and we haven't had an accident yet. But, um, you know, the, <laughs> it is very, very safe. If you think about a bottle of champagne has about eight atmospheres of pressure, about the same as a double-decker bus tyre. And all champagne bottles are made in two pieces with a seam. And what you're doing is you're bringing the sabre up across the seam mm-hmm. to the weakest point. And, um, and it wants to break at that point, so they separate very, very easily. And because there is lots of CO2 in a bottle of champagne, there's no danger of getting any glass in your drink. And the only thing you can do with a Sabrage bottle of champagne, of course, is drink it. So <laughs> there's a wonderful opportunity to open all these bottles, be shown how to do it, and then have a great party. <laughs> So, uh, but more, more event to professionals out there um, identifying the possible uh, use of sobrage parties at their events. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a great way of getting people to... Uh, well, it's very memorable uh, the first time you sobrage. It's, it's quite a good feeling. And uh, then you get inaugurated into the, into the Conferie de Sabrador, the, uh, the sort of club of the golden sabre. And uh, it, it's a bit like being knighted. And so it uh, makes people feel great. And they can take that, their little cork away, so their own Sabrage bottle in a little felt bag, and they get their certificate to say that they did it. And, and so these are ways of uh, really involving people in, in the event. Um, and we've got lots of ways of doing that. We run great cocktail demonstrations and then get uh, delegates and, and, uh, um, and customers behind the bar to mix the drinks themselves. Mm-hmm. We have um, uh, butchery demonstrations where they get to see all of the beef cut with our master butcher and then select a particular piece of beef to eat later. And uh, so they, they can really engage with the, the business and, and see every angle. Um, and uh, it's, it's a much more um, uh, sort of all-encompassing experience mm-hmm, yeah. as a result of it. An immersive um, restaurant yeah, experience, absolutely. rather than just going in, dining and leaving. Yes, definitely, yeah. When you, um, when you engage with your event clients, mm. um, how does that process work? Do, do you find that most of the events that you engage with come to you uh, with a tentative inquiry about whether or not they could use the venue? Do you have any outgoing activity that takes place to actively push the restaurant as an event space or as an as an event venue. Yeah, I think uh, London is an exceptionally competitive market, and I think that anyone that thinks they're going to sit back and, and wait for the events business to knock on your door is you know hugely mistaken. Um, and um, we we have engagement on multiple levels with multiple areas in, uh, of interest to our our business, from um, entertaining PAs at Goldman Sachs. Um, where we took them all to Kinky Boots for the night, the show on the West End, and uh, have cocktail reception and so on, um, to um, to actually going to trade shows, um, to uh, speaking to all the DMCs, inviting them into the business, showing them the venue, um, hosting a cocktail party for them. And, uh, and it's ongoing. It never stops. And there's always another group of, of, of interest, uh, you know, groups that, that we can uh, attract concierge for instance at mm-hmm. hotels and so um, I think you've just got to continue the engagement as much as possible do, do you have a do you have dedicated staff that are responsible for dealing with well, the event side of things or we, is it a collective effort amongst it is the, a collective effort we do have key people in in departments I have uh, a wonderful uh, lady called Lillian Fantanati who is uh, our events oh, manager wonderful name it's a great name isn't it and uh, she she heads up uh, our events team with a sort of uh, remit to uh, to fill private dining rooms and 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 to 
you know the mechanism of booking the entire restaurant. Um, but we work so closely because uh, we share, I share an office with Lillian and, and uh, Susanna Palmer, who's my marketing manager, and our and our head receptionist. Uh, uh, so we constantly discuss um, the events coming up, and and we have a collaborative uh, way of approaching it. And particularly if it's um, something that needs a decision from me, then I'll be at that meeting with the customer and, and say, well, yes, that can happen, or you know, that's an easy thing to fix, or yes, we can disconnect that bit of equipment and, and remove it. Uh, and you've got to be as flexible as possible, I think. It's, uh, I, I'm, I've never ceased to be amazed about what uh, the events business wants to do in, an, in, in a, a restaurant premises like that. So nothing's off limits. There's there's an awful lot I think that the um, the the events industry can, can learn from from the restaurant industry, but I think as as we've we've highlighted today, fundamentally they're both doing the same job. Mm. They're delivering an experience to the customer. They want to do that well. They want to do that in the best possible way. They want to continue that engagement with the customer after that first visit, whether that be a visit to the restaurant, a visit to the event. So mm-hmm. um, I thank you for your input today and, and being able to draw on your own experiences and how that affects the, the, the event industry. Um, as always, we, we put out a call to people listening to the podcast or watching the podcast to get in touch, to tell us about your own experiences of event hospitality. Um, is it good? Is it bad? How can we learn? How can we improve it? Um for the time being, we should thank um, Nathan Evans from Smith & Walensky, um, London, for joining us. Nathan, thanks for coming on to the podcast Absolute pleasure. And, and, thanks and, for and having, having, me. A, having a chat with us. smithandwalensky.co.uk is the place to go if you want to find out a little bit more about uh, the London operation and a little bit more about the history of what is a fascinating company um, and event professionals out there. Go and have a look at it. Go and see what you can learn from this particular operation. Um, today's podcast being recorded, as we mentioned at the top of the show, at the Shangri-La Hotel at the Shard, London. And we're in a private meeting room on level 34, actually. A correction wow. to my earlier statement of 35. We're, we're only one floor down, though. It's still a remarkable view. Um, headbox.com have been kind enough to sort out today's venue. Um, Tune into it on uh, iTunes. Please do subscribe to the podcast. Visit eventindustrynews.co.uk to uh, watch the video recording of today's podcast and see the view for yourself. But for now, my name's James Dixon. You've been listening to Talking Events.